for several years, uh, I ran and operated, directed, developed a camp. We call it a wilderness camp. It was sort of on the lines of, of sort of like an outward bound or something like that, uh, n- not as big as they were, and with more of a Christian emphasis, but uh, still learning the same skills, uh, developing wilderness skills. And we, we did a lot of that. Some of what we did was teach the survival skills, everything from learning to build shelters that were weatherproof. We learned how to make traps and snares, and we had the campers practice those. If they caught something, the rule was then if they couldn't let the animal go without being harmed, they had to be able to kill it and then eat it, uh, put it to good use that way. We learned a lot of things. We did rappelling, not a lot of climbing, how to cross rivers, all sorts of different things. When we were backpacking up in the Wimanooch Wilderness area, even in the summertime, there would be a lot of snow fields, and there we would be able to teach self-arrest. We would have our ice axes with us and just teach what happened because uh, we had taken some falls before. So that was all happening. But one trip that really stands out was one where we had wind up doing a major, major rescue. It was a nice size camp for us. We didn't want to have too many people in these. Uh, So this one, I believe we had uh, 12 campers and then three staff members and we were backpacking. We went in at uh, Miners Park, that area, and on up into the Pine and that area of the Wimanooch. It was a great trip. Um, Some really interesting kids. You know, you'll have all sorts of different personalities there, Um, all of them very likable, but, but different people. And there was one I remember found out as we were going up after, it was probably about the third day in, suddenly somebody came actually running up, they'd left their pack and because I was at the head and they caught me and said that that this boy had had kind of just fainted. <laughs> I thought, oh great. So I go back and he was sitting up kind of not too aware of things and sitting right by the edge of the water right there. They're trying to get him comfortable, trying to find out what's going on. I'm trying to think what could possibly be. And then in talking with his friends, I found out that he had decided he was going to lose weight while he was on this trip and decided that one way to do that is not to drink water. Well, that's as good as way as any to get yourself in trouble in the mountains. So I had him drink some water, gave him some water with actually some salt in it. And in just a little bit, he's back on his feet. We told him, come on now, you have to, first of all, our rule was you have to eat the food that we have and you have to drink water. So he kept doing that, but it was sort of just kind of a warning of what was to come in some of the trip. We got on up to kind of the, well, it's Wimanooch Pass area, and we were headed up to the window. The window is a, a very unusual place. It's right on the Continental Divide, and you look at it, and from a distance, it's just kind of looks like a square cut right out of the mountain, and it looks like a three-sided window. It was used, as you read history, old mountain men, people as far back as they could remember, used it as a good landmark for knowing where they were. 
And so we were going up there. We we packed up all the way there. Uh, when you get up there, it's pretty high. It's close to a mountain called the Rio Grande Pyramid, which is also, you can see, for a long ways. It's not quite a 14,000er. It's 13,000 and some. And so the window is, is just short of 13,000 feet, I think. Uh, at least the bottom of it is. And so uh, we got there. It was a, it, it's, it's a beautiful view. And we set up our camp kind of down from it. There was a kind of a flat place there. You could put, pitch our tents, good place for water. Everything's there. We were planning on having really a fun night. In fact, some of us decided we were going to go up and just sleep up in the window. Now, the window, when you get there, you see that it, it's really steep on both sides. There's not really much of a flat place. So we laid down. We actually propped our feet against rocks so they wouldn't slide down the hill. And we just spent the night there. And it, it was gorgeous. It was a clear night. You'd see about a gazillion stars. You'd see the satellites going by, a few uh, meteors going by. It, it was just magnificent. And early in the morning, then, that's the first place that's going to catch the sun. And the sun comes and hits. Yeah, in the middle of the night, somebody came up to me and said uh, one of the campers had not come up there. Uh, his name was Dan, and Dan wasn't feeling too good. I went down and just talked with him a little bit, and he just wasn't feeling good in his stomach. And I, I was thinking it maybe was sort of like a little mountain sickness or something. But in the back of my mind, I was a little bit concerned because Dan was a diabetic. He had been cleared by his doctor to come on the trip. He was not from Colorado. He was from Flatland area. I just thought, well, he's just responding to high altitude. Next morning, though, we got up. We, we went down to get our breakfast, and Dan was not doing well at all. And I knew at that point that we, we needed to get moving. What had happened in the meantime that night I forget exactly when it was, either going down to see him or something. I actually going down, and I had kind of fallen and twisted my ankle. So I'm kind of limping along. I just just had to move around a little bit slow. It, it was hurt a little bit. But we started packing things up, and Dan was starting to go in, into some sort of either diabetic coma or shock or something. So what we did, we packed everything up very quickly. We're way above Timberline here at this point. There were some girls on the trip. I sent them ahead to go and get another camp set up. They knew where. After it was down in Timberline, it was, it was close to the Wimanooch Pass, to the ditch area there, to have things set up, have meal prepared, and everything with that. And then all the rest of us would go and, and help get Dan down there. We didn't have a stretcher or anything like that. So for the first, I suppose, mile, uh, maybe mile and a half, I wound up carrying Dan on my back. Other people put my backpack uh, stuff up among them, and they carried that, and I carried Dan. He was not a light kid. He was probably about 185 at that point, maybe a little less, 170 maybe. Uh, but whatever, he was heavy. And after a mile and a half of him, I was about done. And we got to a place that was just right at Timberline. I was already exhausted. We set him down. We're trying to get him to take something in, 
to get some sort of food, some orange juice, something in him. He was he was not cooperative. He was out of it most of the time. And we're sitting there, uh, started putting together a stretcher. We cut a couple of little poles from the trees right there and used a couple of sleeping bags and wrapped them up so that we had kind of a stretcher that we could carry Dan on. And just then, a couple of people came up the trail. It was some people. They were from the other side of the mountain over near Creed. They were young life people, uh, campers, and they were running some trips up there as well. I had never met them, but they got there and right away they pitched in to help. They were they were wonderful. It made me feel better because one of them was uh, a licensed EMT, and we had been doing everything exactly what we needed to do. We needed to get Dan out of there. This has taken a lot of time. You understand? I mean. This is not easy. And once we started going on the trail, it's very narrow. You can't always walk like, you know, side by side carrying somebody. There's one place where it really drops off to one side. I suppose it's probably 150 feet drop off down into a, a place, not sheer, but uh, it, it wouldn't do you any good to fall. And so we had to kind of work along that, still carrying Dan. The people from Young Life were helping but the, the guy who was the EMT said, we need to get help. So I sent two more guys out. They took their backpacks down to where the girls were waiting with everything. Then they went on out the other side to get to Young Life to call for help because we needed help. So we're going along. It, it is really not that far, really. I don't know in terms of miles, but it, it took all afternoon to get Dan down that mountain. And by the time we got to where the girls had set up the tents and the food was ready and everything, it was dark by then. When I got there, I found something that was really hard to take. The one counselor, she was there. She was helping with the girls. There was another guy who had been with us and he was hoping to be able to be a part of things with the camp full-time. He was there that summer he had gone on ahead and had heard some of the stories of what was going on unknown to anyone else. I think he told the girl counselor, he said, we're going to have to go get help. So he went by himself the other direction from where I'd sent the guys. I was not a happy camper. He did several things you, you shouldn't do if you can keep from it. He went by himself down a trail he'd been on once. It was starting to get dark. He could have easily gotten lost. He could have gotten hurt. And we needed his help uh, to help carry Dan. So th that was not a fun thing. And so I've got two guys going to get help on the other side towards Creed. I've got the, the other guy, Mark, headed towards uh, the other side. And he was trying to get out so he could get help from there. His intentions were good. The way he went about it was not so good. Then the rest of us were there at the camp. So we ate what we could. We had a good meal. So we keep going, but we had to keep going. So we picked Dan up. We're walking along. Again, the trail's a little bit harder, but we really didn't have much in the way of flashlights. <laughs> I always tell people, you know, flashlights don't seem to work for me. Most of us didn't carry them on the backpack trip. We just didn't use them. So we had one. It was really weak, and we're trying to pick out rocks and everything in front and tried to warn people where rocks were, and we were tripping. 
Dan was very unrestful at that point, tossing and turning, and he actually rolled off our homemade stretcher a couple of times, and it, it was just awful. One time he rolled off, and I just, I was, I had already had it, and I went forward a little bit. One of the girls from Young Life went up with me. We were just walking, and we got to another little stream. We're both just catching our breath. I'm really, really worried. We stop and we pray again. We're just asking God, we we really need help. We went back, we picked up Dan, and we kept moving. And just a little bit farther, we just got out from among the trees and looking up the women which passed. And I saw what I would say is one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. And what I saw was a little light. It turned out it was the headlamp of some people. The two guys I'd sent ahead had gotten down and they'd gotten help. And this was a rescue team coming up to help. And they were coming up from the Young Life camp. There were two guys on horseback and they were in front and they had another group behind them bringing up a stoke stretcher. And and I, and I believe God helped there very much because right where they were on the Women Each Pass, there's actually three ways they could have gone. And, and, and the guys had gone to help weren't quite sure. I don't think they'd given completely good directions. So they just, they prayed. They came exactly the right direction towards us. It was a wonderful moment. And they got there, they got off their horse, they looked at the guy and he was, one of those was an EMT. And he took a look at Dan and everything we were doing. He says, we're not waiting for the stretcher. He got on his horse. We picked Dan up and put him on front of him with with the rider. The other rider got in his horse, and I knew I had to go with him because I was the one responsible. I was kind of hoping I would get on with the other guy, but they didn't offer anything like that. And they took off at a, uh, not at a gallop, but a very fast walk with those horses going up two women at Nuge Pass. I, I turned to uh, towards uh, my, my counselor, the lady that was there. And I said, look, uh, I, I've got to go with them. I know that Mark has left. You've got everybody. I gave her some instructions what to do because by then we have four or five backpacks that uh, they can't carry. I told her where to hide them, what to do, and to lead the people on out of there. And then I had to take off. It was one of the most exhilarating, exhausting crazy times I've ever seen. I took out after those horses and uh, there were times I was having to run and I finally caught up with them uh, just about at the head of Wimanooch Pass, just ready to head down into the Rear Grand Reservoir area. And that trail begins to get very, very steep there. It's about five miles from that point and it was dark. Uh, the moon was not up yet and uh, they're going down at a very, very rapid pace and I'm following along. <laughs> Sometimes I wasn't quite sure where the trail was. It was so dark. The one guy had a head, headlamp. He was the front, so he could see where he was going. Horses see pretty well in the dark, and they knew where they were going. And I was so, so thankful for the white rump of a horse, because that's what I was following. There were hooves would strike sparks every now and on rocks. I could see kind of where it was. I was running, keeping my feet as high as I could, my knees up as high as I could. If you ever run on uneven ground, you know how hard it is. You know, suddenly you step in something that goes down a little harder and you feel like you sprain your kidney or something. It was five miles of that. 
It was exhausting. Uh, at one point, uh, they stopped. They were taking a drink. I took a really some good long drinks there. They were trying to get something, some water in Dan, and they kept moving. And I just followed along. We finally got down. There's a place there just as it gets along the Rio Grande Reservoir. By then, the moon had come up, so I could see a little bit better. But then there's about a mile and a half of fairly easy trail, but it's all covered by woods. And so, again, I couldn't see. And so I'm following white rump of a horse and barks off of, uh, off of horseshoes. We get down to the, to the dam, to the caretaker's place there. They had called ahead for the ambulance from, from actually in Del Norte. It wasn't there yet. So they took Dan, they put him in a pickup. I got in there with them and they headed down the road, going down this gravel road a whole lot faster than probably you're supposed to because Dan was not doing well. Uh, a little bit farther down, we met the ambulance on the way up. We transferred Dan to it. They got him comfortable. They started putting stuff in him, and I rode along the ambulance then. Again, it was quite a ride all the way down through Creed, all the way past the South Fork and down into Del Norte and to the little hospital there. I stayed with the ambulance driver that night, a little night there was. They woke me up at one point and told me I probably should get ready to call Dan's father because they weren't sure he was going to make it. But I believe God intervened. He showed grace, and Dan recovered, and he was all good to go. It was a crazy, crazy night. There were a lot of people who worked hard. The two kids I sent ahead, Brent and Jeff, they did a terrific job. Diane, the, the lady counselor, in taking everybody out, she did everything well. The people from, from Young Life, without them, I don't know what would have happened. That's the story. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop there, though. Then I had to go back and get all the stuff that we left up there. So I went and I got a horse and pack horse from my dad. He was on the Wimanooch Ranch at the time. I went up there to just pick up all the backpacks that we left. And as we were going along, I, I was there and I was waiting to meet Diane and the rest of the campers. And I met them. They were crossing the pine. They had about, uh, from there, a, a three-hour walk, I suppose, to get out. Uh, they they had been working hard. They were tired. When they first saw me, they were hoping I'd brought horses for them, but I hadn't. And uh, so I talked to them briefly, and then I just kept going up. And I realized I'd forgotten to ask Diane. I always carried a revolver with me, uh, somewhat for protection, uh, but really more for signaling or anything like that. And I told her, make sure you get the revolver out of my backpack. She knew that I had it where it was, but I forgot to ask her to make sure she got it. But I'm riding up. I'd gotten uh, riding and uh, looking up, way up across uh, the the fields going up to Wimanooch Pass. I see, uh, I see a couple of people way up there backpacking and they're cutting across on one of the trails there. And I didn't think much of it, except I thought, wow, that really looks like my sleeping pad. But I really, I wasn't thinking. I said, that's stupid, you know. They they made about uh, 10,000 of those. And so I rode all the way up, and I went to where uh, I'd had Diane hide those packs. And I got there, and I realized right away somebody had been through those backpacks and had taken a lot of stuff. And I thought right away, it's those people I saw 
on the trail. So I loaded everything up. I put it all on the pack horse. We, I had big uh, panniers there. I loaded everything up, made sure I got everything. And I took out after those people. I was not in a happy mood at that moment. I rode my horses uh, pretty well, pretty fast. And I finally caught up with them. They had cut across and up over, up above uh, Granite Lake and were down the other side. And I caught up with them. They had stopped and were taking a rest. There were two of them. They're sitting there and I rode right up to them. And I know that I looked big. I looked mean. I was angry. I was on top of this big horse. <laughs> And I rode up to them, and right away I could see some of our stuff just laying there. And I told them, you went through my packs. That's a lot of my stuff you have there. And they started saying something. They were pretty smart. That, well, we saw this person start leaving everything there, and, and, and they just left it there. So we thought we'd take I was having nothing out of that. I don't, first of all, those people were busy rescuing a guy who had to be taken down off the mountain. Secondly, that's our stuff and you have no right to it. I'm gonna take it all back from you. Well, they both uh, were sitting there, they're, they're putting on big brave face and they, they said something like, well, we're not gonna let you do that. And like I said, I'm sitting up there on the horse, I've got two of them, looking big, looking mean. And I said, boys, if you don't get up right now and start walking down that path with nothing but your shoes, leaving everything behind, I'm going to ride this horse right over the top of you. I must have sounded mean, and they believed me. They got up. They had a few choice words, went on down the path. And the whole time I'm sitting there sweating, hoping that they had not picked up the revolver. Because when I went through everything, I tried to find it, and it wasn't in my pack. So I didn't know who had it. I got down off, and they had gone through a lot of people's packs. They had all sorts of stuff of ours. And I picked it all up. I took everything that was ours, loaded it up, and then I went down the trail after them. I caught up to them and I told them, keep walking until I catch up to you. And at that point, they had believed me. They had walked quite a ways down. I got up to them and I told them, boys, you can go back and get your stuff, but don't ever come back in these mountains again. Now, I had no right to say that, but I was pretty angry. And as far as I know, I never saw them again. I don't know who they were. I don't know where they were from. It was kind of a hard ending to a really spectacular camp. I remember that last night. We were sitting around a fire. Everybody's getting ready to go. We found out Dan was okay. Ann had had to drive all the way over and pick me up. And in the meantime, the guy that had come and tried to get rescue from the other direction. He called her in the middle of the night, and they first found out about us, things were going on. It was about the time we had reached the Rio Grande Reservoir, and things were already in motion. Fortunately, we got the other rescue service stopped because we'd had to pay for the helicopter and everything, but we're sitting around that last night around the fire, and I remember we're talking about a lot of things, how hard it was, the good things that we saw. And you know what? One of the best things ever, it was Jeff, said, you know what? I've grown up in a church my whole life. I've learned all sorts about the Bible. I've believed in Jesus. But you know, on this trip, for the first time, I really saw him answer prayers. 
and that has changed my life.